following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good day, Christian Life Church. Good day. What a beautiful, beautiful day we're having. It may be raining outside. It may be blowing a gale. But we're here in the presence of the Lord coming into your home today on this Memorial Day weekend. I was raised by a veteran, a man that fought in World War II. He lived through the war and and, uh, taught me a lot of things about loving our country. And so today we give honor to those who paid the ultimate price, who gave their all, gave their life for freedom. Because freedom isn't free. It really isn't. And so today we honor those people. And I'd like to take just a few moments in your home today and on this platform, in this chapel, let's just bow our heads and take a few moments of silence to, to recognize the people that gave their all so we could have the freedom that we have in America. Would you bow your head with me where you are? And let's take a moment. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. God bless America. And God bless Texas. (laughs) Christian Life Austin, we love you. And all those that are watching today on whatever platform you're watching on, we welcome you into service with us today. The music was beautiful. It was awesome. I love the fact that our music program's always ready. I love the fact that our our, uh, AVL people are always ready. They're excited. We're still excited. Got some good news. Looks like we're going to have a soft opening June 7. That's what we're shooting for. It's not concrete yet, but hang in there. We're excited. And if you don't feel compelled to come immediately to the house of God, that's fine. We'll keep coming to you this way. But you that would like to be back in church two Sundays from today, we'll probably be starting service again as as we call it a soft opening. So God bless you. I'm going to speak today on something that I call, This Overwhelms Me. You know, sometimes you just get overwhelmed. You're just absolutely overwhelmed by something. It's like a, like a tidal wave. I went to baptize a couple in the Pacific Ocean several years ago. They wanted to get baptized there. The, the man was a surfer out there around San Diego, and they wanted to be baptized in that water. And so I baptized them both. After I married them, I baptized them. And as I baptized them, a rogue wave came in and washed me good. And I wasn't ready to get in the water. I just had regular clothes on. And I had to find myself a change of raiment. So there's sometimes that you're doing things in life and just a rogue wave of, of overwhelming goodness and graciousness of God just makes you absolutely speechless of what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. But today... I'm going to talk to you from the book of Mark, chapter 3. There's 12 names I want to list here. One is Simon, who who he gave the name Peter. And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And then there's names like Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot. These are the 12 that Jesus chose to bring the gospel to so they would take the gospel to the whole world. I'm overwhelmed today on this Memorial Day Sunday. I'm going to attempt today to give to this church two of the greatest lessons 
and two of the most wonderful principles that I have ever learned in my life. Now, they may not match other pulpits theology, but I'm not here in competition with those said pulpits. But as a young man, I wanted to know the Lord for myself, not just what somebody interpreted the Lord to be to me, but I wanted a desperate, personal, close relationship with the Lord. Not just an Esau blessing that I read about, but I wanted the Jacob birthright. I wanted him. I chased God as a child. I pursued him as a young man. I humbled myself to a call at 20. I walked the road of righteousness as best I knew how. I desired the best gifts that's in the book. I desired them. I preached about him with a, a passion that was a misunderstood by many, even sometimes my family. Then one day it happened. It, it happened. It happened. God showed me things about me. You know, I've discovered that life sometimes is made complex, but it shouldn't be complex. Life is very simple. You need to break that life down to really four things. Number one is something you need to do. You need to find something to do. Number two, you need someone to love. Number three, you need something to believe in. And number four, you need something to hope for. That's really the basis of life. You know, there's just seven colors in the rainbow. There's just seven keys in the note system of a piano. But what kind of music we see and hear and what kind of pictures we see painted by just seven, seven. So, so the bottom line is that life is very simple. It's not complex. And I'm going to break it down to you today on this thing that happened to me. The first principle that I'm overwhelmed with is simply this. Jesus loves me in spite of me. Jesus loves me in spite of me. That overwhelms me. That's like a rogue wave of his love. He loves me in spite of who I am. You know, he remembers that we are dust. He remembers we're just flesh. And sometimes we don't remember that, but he loves us. He loves us. Many of you remember the movie Places in the Heart. It was one of my favorite. Sally Fields won an Oscar for her part in it. 1984 is a classic film. It was about people, all kinds of people. It starred, as I said, Sally Fields and John Malkovich. Danny Glover and Ed Harris and other characters. And the movie is set in the Depression era in 1935. It was filmed up here in Waxahachie, Texas. In a small town sheriff is killed, leaving his wife and two small kids to try to scrap out a living on their cotton farm. And when the bank threatens to foreclose on the farm, the widow takes in a, a boarder, a blind veteran of the Great War played by John Malkovich. And later a drifter played by Danny Glover takes up residence. And together, the widow, the blind man, the drifter, and two children without a father try to pull off the impossible. And the impossible is this, to get the first load of cotton picked and hauled to the gin so that they can win the monetary prize sufficient to save the farm. And the most compelling thing about the movie is the odd mix of characters who make up the central cast of characters. A widow with no farming skills or knowledge. A blind man who is bitter, very bitter about life. A wanderer, a drifter who struggles with honesty and integrity. And two little children who will never have their dad back in their life. And at the end of the movie, all are sitting in church and they're singing. While the pictures of all the people in the story are displayed for the viewing audience. And when that movie ended, I was left 
saying, what? I don't get it. I don't understand this. And it took me a while to understand the strange ending to this movie. It just didn't seem to fit. It was unusual. And then I saw it. In essence, it was telling us simply this, that everybody mattered in that picture. Everybody counted in that picture. And everybody was and is important. And I want to tell you today, everybody matters, everybody counts, and everybody is important in your home. Everybody. At least in that movie, it was that, and it's that way in this house. Did you ever notice how often good stories work that formula that places in the heart worked? One of my favorite comic stories, comedian stories, was The Odd Couple. They made a couple of movies out of it. A neat freak and a world-class slob have to learn to live together. Or Gilligan's Island, seven people, all of whom were weird in some way, stranded together on this deserted island. And one of my favorite old movies, I like old movies, is The Dirty Dozen, 12 hardened criminals and a colonel on the outs with his commander on a mission to eliminate the Nazi leadership. And it's not just television shows and movies that these kind of characters and these kind of stories come to pass. But the disparate characters all united in a common quest populate some of the greatest works in literature also. These characters, such as The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck and Of Mice and Men, and my favorite, written by Harper Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird, a classic. Then there, then, then, then there's the Bible with the list of these disparate characters, noteworthy or capable of what love, none of them are. None of them are capable and noteworthy of love. The scripture in Mark 3 I just read, in the selection of these 12 men from the hundreds of followers of Jesus that he would take and train to change the world, and for a moment, I just want to stop and take two of these men out of the 12, and I want to compare them to show you the unique difference of these men. One of the men I want to share is a man named Matthew. Matthew. And the other is a man named Simon, Simon Zelotes. He was a Canaanite. He never gets preached about. Never. But Matthew was a tax collector. Simon was a tax protester. <laughs> Matthew was a revenuer for the Romans. Simon was a rebel against the Romans. Matthew was wealthy. Simon was a commoner. And Matthew made his money overcharging people like Simon. And Simon lived to eliminate people like Matthew. Talk about an odd couple. But all of them matter. Every one of those disciples mattered. Those two men mattered, even though they were on the opposite sides of the page. And with that in mind, let's look at one more passage, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came on the early church. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. We're going to celebrate next Sunday because it's Pentecost Sunday. It's the birthplace and the birthday of the church. You remember the 17 nationalities that came and heard all these people in the upper room speaking languages of their own country. And they said, how be it these ignorant Galileans speak languages that we are speaking in our country 
and they don't have the education to speak our language. But you remember the Tower of Babel back in Genesis. This is the undoing of Babel. Babel dispersed people. Pentecost brought people back together. But the first miracle of the church was not tongue speaking. It was not glossolalia. It wasn't that. It was community making. The first miracle was community making. It was making sure everybody knew that they were counted. And on this Memorial Day week, I want to preach something that will memorialize you in your heart. I want a rogue wave of God's love and mercy to touch your life today. I want you to know that you count and you matter. And this thing called the church is not just a bunch of people that just gather together. It's collective individuals that matter to Jesus Christ by themselves. And when we come together and we represent Him in our praise and worship, we understand we're together with people that have the same common base as we have. We need something to do and someone to love and something to believe in and something to hope for. And the reason it qualifies as a miracle is because it runs counter to normal, that everybody matters. And natural human response to diversity because God loves diversity. This overwhelms me. I'm overwhelmed by this. John 11:35 is the shortest verse in the entire Bible. It says simply, Jesus wept. And the next verse, the Jews say, verse 36, see how he loved him. Listen to me. Jesus was depicted as loving a dead man, a dead man. He was depicted as loving one, loving one that had corruption in his body. He had been dead four days. He loved a man that was already buried. He loved a man that was already gone. Everything was over in his life, but Jesus loved him. Now, you may not be dead physically. You may not be stinking physically. You may not be that way physically, but there's some of you that have run into a jigsaw puzzle. And you have run into a saw that says, I cannot make life happen anymore. And on this Memorial Day, I will tell you that Jesus will stand at your spiritual grave and say, I love you. He'll stand at a place where you say, my life is gone and say, I love you. He'll stand at a place where you say, Lord, everything in my life stinks. And he'll say, I still love you. He'll stand in a place where you say that everything is buried, but he'll say, I still love you. I want to tell you one of the most beautiful stories I've ever read. I love Robert Fulgham's books. I'm a reader of Fulgham. And he tells a wonderful story about a kindergarten class. This is kind of a cute story. That decided to perform a story of Cinderella. There's a lot of roles in Cinderella, but still casting was a chore. All the girls, of course, wanted to be Cinderella. And finally, all the children were assigned roles except one a small, tubby little lad named Norman. And the teacher said, Norman, what are you going to be? Well, said Norman, I think I will be the pig. <laughs> and the teacher said, Norman, there is no pig in the story of Cinderella. And Norman said, well, there is now. And the teacher could tell it would be senseless to argue, so she let it, left it up to Norman to decide what role the pig would play in the Cinderella story. And as it turned out, the pig went everywhere 
that Cinderella went and did everything that Cinderella did. Whatever Cinderella did, the pig did the same. And even though Norman had nothing to say, there was no lines. His face reflected the action of the drama. When things were serious, he was serious. When things looked worrisome, he looked worried. And when things were in doubt, he looked anxious. And he began to fill the stage, folks. He began to fill the stage with his presence of response by just simply sitting there <laughs> on the stage. And at the end of the performance, when the princess was carried off by the prince to live happily ever after, Norman stood on his hind legs and barked. <laughs> you heard me. He barked. In rehearsal, this had been troublesome because the teacher said, Look, Norman, even if there is a pig in the story, pigs do not bark. And Norman said, Well, this one does. <laughs> this one barks. And you can imagine what happened the night of the performance. There was a standing ovation at the end of the performance for the pig. Norman, the barking pig, who was, as it turns out, the Cinderella of the story after all. And word got around, and people called up the teacher and said, we hear you have this dynamite Cinderella program. And the teacher said, yeah. And the caller would say, well, what's so special about the program? And the teacher would say, well, there's a pig in it actually a barking pig. And the caller that would call would say, well, there's no barking pig in Cinderella. To which the teacher replied, well, there is now. <laughs> there is now. <laughs> I love that story. You know, I think Jesus would love Norman and his barking pig. I really do. And I'm not trying to be trite. I'm not trying to be slight with this love of Jesus. But Norman was who he was. No matter how foolish he might seem to others, he was who he was. You know, Jesus had a disciple named Peter who was somewhat like that. It's only natural that when Simon Peter saw Jesus walking on the water one night on a storm, in a storm, he jumped overboard and tried to walk out to meet him. Because Peter understood a principle that I will endeavor to minister this, this day. Jesus loved Simon Peter. He loved him. And I'm preaching a gospel today knowing that there's a Savior that loves me to tell you that he loves you. And with all his impulsiveness, with all of Peter's bravado, with his unbridled enthusiasm, Jesus loved Simon Peter. Jesus saw past the foot in his mouth disease that Peter had. He saw past the fact that he almost drowned because Jesus loved Simon Peter. Jesus looked past his bragging. He looked past the swagger. He looked past the compulsion to embellish his ideas. He saw something beyond Simon Peter's impulsive nature to see the leader that he could be. You know, it's obvious that Jesus would rather tone down a fanatic than try to resurrect a corpse. I truly believe that. Peter was the exact opposite of the man I once read about. This is a neat story. His name was Roy Robert Smith. And in Guinness World Record Book of Achievements, here's a small sampling of the things that 36-year-old Roy Robert Smith had never tried. He never tried these. He never tasted an ice cream soda, never had a Coca-Cola float. He never had drank any kind of 
Coca-Cola, Dr. Pepper, or ginger ale. He had never gone hunting. He had never gone swimming, fishing, hiking, or ice skating. He had never driven a car or ridden a motorcycle or a horse or a bicycle. He had never had a surgical operation. He had never joined a church, a club, a lodge, an organization. He never studied a foreign language, and he had never been outside the United States. And at 36 years old, he had never kissed a girl. Wow. Jesus loves Norman and his talking pig. Jesus loves Simon Peter floundering in the water in all of his braggadocia. And Jesus loved Roy Robert Smith, who never did anything. Because I'm going to tell you a statement now. Where else are people who don't fit in going to fit in? And while I was writing the notes down, a little song came to me that I used to hear, and I don't even know what it's all about, but I love the tune. It says, I know a place. Ain't nobody crying. Ain't nobody dying. Just follow me, and I'll take you there. I'm going to give you a commercial right now for Christian Life Austin. We have been preaching the gospel for 11 Sundays since the middle of March. And we have talked to you about the Jesus that we love and the, and, the, and the greatness that He is in our life and how He changes lives. But I will declare to you something. It don't matter if you're a Simon Peter and you're braggadocia and you can't, you can't tell the truth for embellishing stories or you're like Roy Robert Smith and you've never done anything in your life and you don't think you fit anywhere or you're like Norman who's a barking pig. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. There is a place for you a place in the house of God. And at 4700 Westgate Boulevard, there is a church called Christian Life Austin that opens up its arms today and says, you have a place. Two Sundays from now, we're going to have a soft opening. I would like to see you come and see us and just say, hey, I've heard about this place. I've dreamed about a place like this place, and I want to come and check this place out. I promise you, you give us three months and you'll never go any place else because this is a place. Now, after that commercial, I'm going to go back to preaching. Are you ready for the Word again? The second great principle I want to share with you is not only that Jesus loves me in spite of me, but number two, I must accept His love to really live. You need to say that with me. I must accept His love to really live. You know, I used to believe as a young man that loving Jesus is the key to abundant living. And it is a necessary part of life. You have to love Him. You need to love who He is, and you need to love what He has done. You need to love what He can do, and you need to love what He will do in your life. But then it goes to another step, understanding that He loves me. You need to understand that, that He loves me. This comes into play. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We sing about it. We hear about it, we talk about it, and we have to understand. You have to understand that God loves us. You have to understand that. But the thing that you have to really do, you have to accept His love. Accepting His love is the key to a fulfilled life. You have to accept it. You know, John the Beloved was, a, was different than the other three synoptic gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He walked differently. He talked differently. His book is so much 
neater to read because of how he wrote, because of his relationship with Jesus. You know, he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Sometimes he didn't even use his name, just his moniker. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. And at the Last Supper when Jesus, before he died, the Last Supper before Gethsemane and before the cross, he was closest to Jesus. He laid his head on Jesus' chest. He was close to him. He could hear his heartbeat. And he was the only disciple at the cross. He really was. He became Mary, the mother of Jesus' adopted son. Because Jesus said, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son from the cross. He took Mary, the mother of Jesus, home with him. She got a new residence, John's house. And he was privileged to write the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he's the only disciple of the twelve that died a natural death of natural causes. Oh, they tried to kill him, but they couldn't. See, accepting his love, Jesus' love, is really living. It's really living. It puts you close to him. It makes you not be afraid of crosses in your life. It makes you adopt people in the church and become people's people. It makes you understand that he can give you revelations in the nighttime and revelations in the daytime. It lets you understand that he will take care of you. His grace will be there even when you are passing from this life to the next. See, doubt is our enemy, and fear is our greatest adversity and adversary. But Jesus loves people who believe in him. He loves people who dream great dreams and who still believe that all things are possible. He still loves you, who are willing to step out in faith and do great things. You know, Pastor Brad talked about the prodigal last week. And though still in a hog pen in Luke chapter 15, he had not lost his place with his father, still his son. And while he was praying, I'm going to go to my father and say, Father, make me as a hired servant because I am no more worthy to be called your son anymore. On the other end, the father was saying, get the calf ready, get the robe ready, get the ring ready, and get the invitation list ready. We're going to have a son. We're going to have, we're going to have a party. Dad was in the house preparing while the son was praying a prayer that made him feel less than. But he didn't realize that a rogue wave of love was fixing to overwhelm him because as he started walking home, the daddy started running to him. The son walked, the daddy ran. Wow, what an exciting day. And when he ran, he fell on him and he kissed him. You know why he fell on him, folks? He fell on him because a son that disrespects his father and leaves his house is supposed to be stoned according to the law. But when the father jumped on that son and said, no, 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 no. If they stone you, they're going to have to kill me first because that's the kind of love the father had for a son even though he was disobedient. You need to accept that kind of love. And when you accept it, all of a sudden you realize that you're growing in life. It's not what you give away. It's what you can accept from God to your heart and your life. There was a man named Judge Roy Bean who was known as the law west of the Pecos. And he had a jail. He was known for the jail that he had, and he wasn't known for that till after it was all said and done. And he put some of the worst criminals in all the old west in that jail. And the jail was known as the impregnable jail. It was impossible to escape from, and never was escaped from by anybody. Oh, they escaped Alcatraz, but they never escaped Judge Roy Bean's jail west of the Pecos. And when it was all said and done and everybody was dead, some people went in 
and excavated that place and discovered that that jail wall was made of cardboard covered with plaster. Heavy plaster but cardboard. A cardboard jailhouse held people captive. You know what hell's plan is? Hell's plan is a cardboard fear. Hell's plan is a cardboard fear. And let me tell you something. Faith does not rebuke fear. It doesn't. But the Bible says in 1 John 4 and 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Can I tell you something? There is something that will take away the fear of the cardboard jailhouse that hell wants to put around everybody in your life. And that's called love. It's not faith, it's love. Perfect love. You know what? He loves us just the way we are. And I need to accept that if I'm going to grow and go from faith or fear to faith. I've got to receive that love in my heart. In the book Don Quixote, the classic work, there is a man named Sancho Panza. And Panza hangs from a window ledge all night long, too frightened to let go for fear that he'll die if he lets go and falls. But when the morning dawns, he discovers that his toes are only an inch off the ground. He hung all night in fear, and his toes were one inch off the ground. I read about a man from the south that went north and saw a frozen river up in Ohio. And he said, I think I'll try to walk across this river. It's frozen. So he got out and he heard the ice crack. And so he got on his hands and knees and the ice was still cracking. And he got down literally on his stomach and tried to swim, move across that frozen river. And he got about to the middle. And he realized that he heard something behind him. And he turns around and there's a man with a team of mules and a wagon hauling some iron ore. And he's coming at him fast, and the man holds up his hand laying on the, on the ground. He said, please stop, please stop. This ice is thin. You're going to die. And the man said, you must not be from these parts, son. He said, I live here. And I will tell you this. Where you are right now, the ice is 12 inches thick. Why don't you stand up, son, and forget about the ice cracking and dance on the ice. Can I tell you from somebody on this side that understands the love of God through tragedy, understands the love of God in triumph, understands the love of God even on a memorial day, understands the love of God because I have seen it in every compartment of my life. I'm telling you, you can stand up, you can let go, you can walk out, and you can be freed by the love of Jesus Christ. The last story I'm going to tell, I love stories, and Paul Harvey told a great one one day about some scientists who worked 14 years to try to teach a chimpanzee how to take symbols and make sentences. And for 14 years they felt like that they could make this chimpanzee say something to them by these symbols, make a sentence. And, and it's so cute because after 14 years, they came to the day when they were going to see if the experiment worked and if this chimpanzee could actually talk with these symbols. And so they put the symbols in front of him and he started arranging these symbols. And when, when they read the history-making sentence that he created, 
it said simply this, these three words, let me out. <laughs> I want out of here. I want out of here. I'm not preaching to people that can't make a sentence, but I'm preaching to people that need to make a sentence. I'm going to let go. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to get out of this life because I want to go serve a Savior that loves me in spite of me. And if I can learn to accept His love, I know I'll be in the place that I need to be. So on this Memorial Day weekend, let the Lord take the key of salvation, unlock the shackles of sin in your life, yourself and Satan, and let Him set you free. And when He has set you free, you'll be free indeed. And when you understand His love, and receive His love and accept His love, you'll be free. You know what? That wave just hit me again. I'm overwhelmed by this. I love you. Can I pray with you before we go? Dear Father, bless this audience today. And bless people, Lord, that have been bound. And bless people, Lord, that have been chained. And bless people, Lord, that have been captive. And allow the love of Jesus Christ to open up the prison doors and to bring those people to you. Let them lift their hand right now in the house and believe that all things are possible because you're a God of miracles. Bless us today and bring us to the house of God two weeks from today to love you and worship you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I love you. If you've received the Lord, text us, write us, and say I found him on Memorial Day Sunday. I love you. God bless you.